I felt the same thing when I was playing Telfight during my testing stuff too, which is just uh, you can just you can just feel the fact that somebody was having fun making it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's almost like the game is having fun, and it doesn't really care whether you are. <laughs> hey, everybody! Welcome to episode two seventy one of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I make websites. I'm Sam, and I write all the words and stuff. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is August 7th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. There's going to be some swears. So just be prepared for that. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We grabbed your money. Thanks for letting us do that. It's nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, we have a little bit of a lag thing so there may be a little bit more interruptions in this episode than you know normal a of lot which of there's normally thing. a shitload <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah i think adam's like two whole seconds behind us right now for some reason so we're doing our best over here this work from home thing is really a it's really a pickle all right now i got a i got a quick i got a quick question for you guys hmm. S- something i need to figure out here's the deal about two and a half months ago, I was at the grocery store. I needed cream soda. You ever, you ever get that, that feeling that you just really, really need cream soda? I have had that in the past, the other, but it ends in a one? very particular way, which is what I'm curious about. Once you drank one, okay. So, I was I was going down the aisle. And I was like, got to get my cream soda on. I I snagged some of the A and W, you know, classic top, top shelf cream soda. Uh, got it home, realized that I had accident. I thought I was getting the diet cream soda, okay, but I mm-hmm. I got the the real cream soda, the forty eight grams of sugar yeah. per twelve ounce can cream soda. Uh, so I I started drinking one of them, and I couldn't I couldn't do it. So I after about one gulp, I I just poured it out. Mm-hmm. So I've had eleven cans of. Cream soda, uh, just kind of hanging out in my house for like two and a half months now, and I was just wondering if you guys had any ideas on what am I supposed to do about this? I'm actually, do do with- I'm in a similar pickle because uh, uh-huh. Diane and I recently got into drinking like fizzy water, right? So you're like, was it Lacroix, whatever it's, the fizzy stuff is called? So it's lightly flavored. It's just fizzy carbonated water, right? Um, so. We happen to order as we do, you know, with a little bit of extra chaos every every few orders. And so Diana got these ones called Izzy's, which are apparently actually like a juice plus carbonated beverage. So the okay. problem is, so the cans are tiny, right? It's sort of like it's one of those skinny cans. So I think it's yeah. like eight, eight, just eight ounces. And there's like 20 grams of sugar in this thing. Okay. So yeah. I drank one of them. I started drinking one of them, had the exact same response. I drank half of it. And then I was like. I <laughs> cannot. And the problem was because we ordered, yeah. we thought we were going to, you know, we've been drinking a ton of these. So she ordered like a big case of them. So we just have them, mm-hmm. they're taking up like two uh, of the side, like the two side shelves in our fridge are just like lined with these Izzy's. And we haven't figured out what to do with them either. I've got a solution for Izzy's, but not for root beer. Because with, it, with, a, okay. with a fruity, like a fruity, fizzy, sugary thing, perfect for cocktails. Make cocktails, do it every once in a while until those things are gone. 
It's perfect because in a cocktail you need some booze, you need some mm. sugar, and you need some other flavor. And with an with a sugary beverage, you've got two of the three. Just slap some booze in there; it'll be great. So I've only got peanut solution. butter whiskey though, so I don't know. Will <laughs> be. Really gross, which is actually you're, you're in the kind yeah, of the opposite work. problem that Seth is in, which is I know he has lots of good booze, but a terrible mixer because cream soda is going to be fucking disgusting. Wait, wait. Trade. If you mixed peanut butter whiskey with cream soda, it's probably great. That might work. That would probably work. All right, we got to figure out some kind of uh, sort of hostage trade move. <laughs> Some kind of social distancing delivery uh-huh. of my cream soda and your fizzy fruit drink. And for your worst case scenario. Or, or vice you can, versa. You can get some Mentos and then just have a Mentos have Mentos party and just shoot that shit all over the place. Yeah, I'm it's in this. a can though. So I got like that's I got to figure out how to package it, repackage it into bottles so that you can create a proper Mentos uh, cream soda cannon situation. Oh, you want to make a bomb? Uh, no, you got to make it. You got to make it like shoot out like a you know like a squirt gun. Mm-hmm. But the the opening of a can is all fucked up, and it's not gonna. You can't aim that. That's true. You know that's where powdered Mentos comes in. You know you gotta you gotta take it to the next level if you're engineering one of these solutions. It's true, but anyway, I, you know I, I've still got eleven cans. I got plenty of opportunities to uh, try some things out. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, let's talk about the studio. Uh, where are we at with the tech debt burned down rodeo circus? Well, uh, we've got Rumpus integrated into all of the games. All Every single one of them. Tile Fight, Roid Rage, Flop Rocket, Quadrupus, Crashlands, Levelhead, of course, because that was yeah, that was already the case. It's, uh, it's so we don't we don't have them ready to release yet. We still have some final some final bits and bobs to work out, uh, as well as, of course, testing, which is a new thing that we're, that we're doing that we didn't do back uh, when we first made those games. Which has been funny because I've seen the bug reports coming in for Crashlands on our to-do board. Turns out there's a <laughs> considerable there's number in there. Yeah. There's some. Who would have thunk it? Uh, some of which are new because of the changes. Uh, some of which have been there for, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But it's been pretty fun to play Tal Fight 2. And for those of our listeners who haven't played Tal Fight 2, I you know, it's free. So just go get it. Get it on Android or iOS. Cause this we made this game. This was the first game that we made as a full-time studio. And uh it is an incoherent wild time. It's like a fever uh, dream, isn't it? Like just it, <laughs> it is. I mean, nothing, nothing about it makes any kind of sense. Uh, like there's a, at some point you rescue this floating head magician, which for some reason we called him a magician. I think because he has a bag. He does. He uses a bag to do magic. So he's a, he a, magi- a bag. bag so he's a, ba- he's a magician, <laughs> a magician. He's got a bag. His name's Tim. And he gives and he casts spells on you. So you can give him coins and he casts spells. But the spells are essentially like pieces of art ripped from our jam games that we just like put in there. So like one of them is like an actual full-on character from a jam game that we made. 
this big, this big beefy yellow guy from a game called I Know CPR, where like there's a man oh, yeah. having a series of heart attacks wait, and wait, you have wait. to defibrillate so, him. <laughs> so that comes. How does that come into play? Do you become? I don't even remember this at all. Do you become that character? Or no? Just, it's like it's, you it probably orbits. You, yeah, you pay Tim the magician, and he casts this spell on you, and now that picture of that large yellow man is now just like orbiting your body and it conveys some kind of effect onto you. Uh, there's one like one of the spells is called the five phone where it's an iPhone and it has a screenshot of towel fight Two stuck in portrait mode <laughs> on the, on the phone. To celebrate the, the iPhone five <laughs> fiasco where it got because, stuck in portrait mode. Yeah. Because when we launched the game, the iPhone 5 came out like around that same time. And we didn't have an iPhone 5 to test on. We only had an iPhone 4. And it turned out that it was handling portrait mode differently. And all of our iPhone 5 players launched the game stuck in portrait mode. And it looked so stupid because the game was really tiny in the middle. And then there was like these huge, tall, vertical controls on the side. And so we, someone sent us a screenshot of that being like, this looks weird. And then we took that screenshot, put it onto an item in the game as a phone <laughs> item, gave that spell to Tim the magician, and we and then the description was uh, that like it's it's highly reflective screen allows you to send damage back to enemies. Also, it's stuck in portrait mode, <laughs> and so so it's like a da- it's like a damage reflect thing. So it's basically like we uh, in Telfight two. We had ideas of stuff we wanted to do, and then we just did them. Yep. Sort of without any regard to making it make sense in the world of the game, uh, uh, or even mechanically making it make it, much sense. Is there the uh, <laughs> is the launch chili in there? There's launch chili. Yeah. Which uh, it's spicy, so it gives you an extra like attack speed or something. That's because I was making uh, chili the day that we launched the game. So we it was making chili. He <laughs> <laughs> was making chili on launch day. And so we put that in the game. Like yeah. why? And it's called launch chili. Uh, I think that yeah, was in a place in a while. Episode, wasn't it? Like at the very beginning? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, one of the beginning ones. Yeah, but I think it's one of those funny things where um, – I haven't actually played. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Let's take Dude, take a stroll it, down memory lane. But and um, there's so much happening in that game. There's I at the time I was playing. So I my cloud save is still there because Bscotch ID, despite being an an ancient piece of crap, surprisingly resilient. Uh, so I I loaded it up and my cloud save just came right down, and I was like partway through the third and final section of the game, the which is called Horrible Nightmare Land. <laughs> Isn't it just made of flesh and bones? It's, it's just, just like made gross. of meat. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in horrible nightmare land. And my the projectiles that I'm using is like I've got the puffer fish. So it like just dunks on the ground and it just blasts out spines. I've got praying mantises, which orbit you and then like smash and explode. I've got chainsaws, which are alive. And then they yep. – they go the around you. Yep. I got the turtle shell to protect myself. Uh, I've got uh, the ant, which digs and ba- like dig fills in holes. Like it's a, and, and so uh, all of these things are just like I walk into a room. I can't see. I can't <laughs> see anything. I've got like ninety projectiles coming out of my face. There's enemies flying everywhere. There's lasers. Every time you hit something, random words come out of it. So you can't see mm-hmm. the thing that you're shooting. 
Uh, and it's still weirdly fun. <laughs> yeah, I remember there's a, one of my favorite reviewers has this term called rainbow vomit, which is sort of trying to encapsulate that effect that happens in a lot of games where as things just ramp up, it ter- like you keep on stacking all these effects and stacking these powers and stuff. And at some point, yeah. you just can't tell what the hell is going on. It's just like a disco ball just flying around, which is the yeah. same thing we got there. But uh, I mean, despite all of that, or perhaps because of all of that, it still holds up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a it's a wild fun time. Uh, so definitely check it out. You know, we're gonna be we're also gonna be updating it soon with uh, with Rumpus and and deploying all that. But the, the core gameplay will be uh, the same. So uh, and also all of your old progress from the legacy version will will transfer to the new version. So like you don't a, lose anything. There's an interesting question there. I think which is uh, which is one of both of nostalgia of you know dev and nostalgia so going back to a time where where you just did whatever literally whatever uh with no regard Uh for consequence it sort of feels like it feels like childhood in a sense yeah totally uh which adam i don't know if you get this with looking back at your b scotch id stuff since you've been refactoring a lot too uh just sort of the the level of just kind whimsy, of whimsical, <laughs> less creation of, a <laughs> of, uh, of gleeful abandon with like because with with Beast ID, it's just it's just made poorly. Like that's its whole thing, right? Which is, <laughs> which is different, which is different than uh, than than the sort of absurdist gleeful abandon that you get in Talfight Two, where where it really is just doing whatever you want, and not not in the way where we say without regards to consequences. Like I'm going to code this in a shitty way and not worry about my future self having to deal with it. But more of, I had this completely absurd idea and I, and I want to have it exist. So I'm going to have it exist, but just period. There, there's no, without any worry about, are there consequences to this existing? Uh, is this good? Is, is anybody going to understand what the hell this is? Cause even the, the whole, like the, the iPhone joke, right? And if you think about how many of those things are just jokes about, our existing franchise, right? Which at that point nobody knew about. Uh, <laughs> we just we just didn't care. We, it was clearly there for for us, and then for our handful of fans who actually knew what we were up to. And and if we think about these days, and we're thinking about adding stuff in, and we're thinking about calling back to other games, all this kind of stuff, the most common question we have is, well, like, will anybody even notice or like care that we're doing this? And and we focus mm-hmm. on doing everything for the user, not just because we think it would be fun. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, a, that's a very good point about the the orientation change went away from just just making it because it felt fun to make for us to trying to make it for other people. But I, I do think there's a there's a certain amount of magic that you can feel in a in something that is built that where someone was was almost purely just having a real good time uh, yeah. for themselves. <laughs> yeah, you can you could just feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same thing when I was playing Telfight during my testing stuff too, which is just. Uh, you can just you can just feel the fact that somebody was having fun making it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's almost like the game is having fun, and it doesn't really care whether you are. That <laughs> 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 is unfortunately about as, yeah. That's the tagline for Talfight right there. I just remember yeah, like, whether you like it or not, fun. it likes itself. Yeah, yeah. When we put in the uh, the head recoil. Because you're wearing this monocle that oh, yeah. shoots at animals. And we put head recoil in. Yep. So yep. your character's head is constantly snapping backward like a like a bird, you know? Like a whiplash. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I remember we put that in and I was like, I mean, this is super weird, but it, it needs to be in there because it just feels so good. 
there you yep. are. Yep. And then we like, we gave you a pet pug and then it gets abducted and horribly morphed into a demon. Hey, I'd be just spoil uh, it. Don't spoil it. We also have, <laughs> it's been out for a while now. <laughs> uh, we, even one of the bosses is Gerblin, which is from our game Gerblins, mm-hmm. which like eight, 18 people uh, downloaded. We Actually, no, I think we had 30,000 people play that because we even wrote up an old blog post about it. You remember that? We wrote up a blog post back in our, our youth called uh, How Piracy Saved Gerblins. And it was all about how uh, how people just stole it and therefore 30,000 people played it and therefore it was saved. You know, like the, the logic was a little convoluted. Which, well, I mean, it's not totally wrong in the sense that it was up. We had a version of it that was up for free which almost mm-hmm. nobody downloaded. And then we had a paid version, which almost nobody bought. And then 30,000 people played the game anyway, which at that time it was like, well, I mean, at least people are playing our game. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, anyway, so it's, it's been pretty fun to kind of go back and see. And I, I, my hope is that, you know, when we uh, kind of relaunch these games with Rumpus and with some of them are getting some, you know, minor visual updates here and there um, and uh, just some like general bug fixing and stuff. And uh, in some cases, like Quadrupus and uh, Roid Rage, they're getting a, their their resolution increased on the phone, so it'll look a little sharper and better. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, some of our our old players get to uh, go back and re-experience mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of those old games because they're 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 going from uh, something that we're kind of like we were trying to avoid making eye contact with because. They were just in such rough shape to something once again that we are proud of having in our portfolio. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, we also launched the Levelhead patch this week, and it went very smoothly, except for one minor problem, which is that we accidentally introduced a bug that made it so that guests couldn't play through the tutorial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but uh, aside from you that, know, one. that's and, and minor. By guests, we mean people who have not signed in. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to get that uh, fixed and deployed on every platform uh, except for Switch, which is still currently going through the certification process. But um, it was honestly, it was such a small change. It was 18 characters of code. Mm-hmm. That was the difference between people being able to play through the t- tutorial and not being able to play through it. Yeah. So. You know, it's gonna go. It's gonna go through cert. It'll be fine. It'll it'll be out soon. Uh, but also, the, if you are one of those people who's stuck playing as a guest, uh, uh, or, or who can't go through the tutorial as a guest, just log in to Rumpus and then yeah, easy fix. Is, yeah, yeah. Easy I think it's one of those. Uh, the, the launch was very smooth. I think it was one of those things we debated about whether or not to put a trailer together, uh, largely because trailers take they just take a lot of of time uh, to do, and we just work. Yeah, certain on if they would assist actually in terms of either securing featuring anything else, and so we were like, well, let's just do our usual goofy blog post thing. Uh, try just this you know, non-trailer approach because if we can, it basically, it's, it's the question of if we can get away with it, um, then it's it's just a much cheaper overall operation. And I will say, like on the marketing side, as far as just how many things you have to worry about uh, handling for press, blog posts, and all this, when you don't have a trailer involved, uh, the complexity. Was like halved. I'm not even kidding. Like yeah. halved because there's <laughs> every single platform has you have to do a specific trailer cut for that one, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's like even if you build the trailer, it doesn't it doesn't stop being a, a source of of pain in a lot of ways. And so uh, it was very smooth. It was crazy smooth. We were just working on Wednesday, so it's really nice. Yeah, and one one thing people tend to not think about is is when you're when you have a game that's on 
I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit when we were first launching the game, how, for example, we needed uh, – we had eight different stores that we were putting the game on in uh, 11 languages and we needed five or more screenshots per platform, right? So people just stop and think like, holy shit, we need – Nearly a thousand screenshots <laughs> yeah, of this game, and the same thing applies yeah. to trailers, right? Like we yep. need we need localization where possible. We need to have it be, uh, be we call it like, like nativized for the store, so it needs mm-hmm. to show the correct uh, the correct control overlays. It needs and it, it can't refer to other platforms, so we can't like put a trailer up on the switch. That shows like no land, it's on Steam. Like we can't, can't yep. do I that. I mean, even the controls bit is an easy one not to be aware of. If you're if you're if you're making a game, you're going to deploy on say like console and PC, right? And it's your first time making a game, and you got your trailer. Uh, I would put even money that you didn't actually think about the question of what buttons are being shown on the screen, um, yep. and whether it's showing you know characters from a keyboard or mouse clicks, you know, mouse buttons, or whether it's showing. Uh, a cursor on a platform that doesn't have cursors like mobile. like, uh, And then once you get cross console, it gets even weirder because they're all controllers, but then they have different characters for each button. And then when you get onto switch and you can take the switch controls apart. And it, the, so the whole thing becomes this really interesting problem of, do you make screenshots or trailers for each independent platform? Um, or what do you do? I guess we, since, since yeah. we've done this, the way that we did it for the trailers, we just said, okay, we, we, we can't localize it. That's just too costly. Um, and we can't make a different version for every platform, at least as much as possible we can, because that's too costly. So what we can do is make a uh, a way to have the interface be generic enough that that you don't actually notice like stuff about which platform it's on, because we take away all the button indicators and all that kind of stuff so that it yep. just works for everything. And we, I mean, we did get some some uh, pushback on, for example, like the mobile platforms, because in some cases we're showing like a little hand yeah, the cursor, cursor yep. on screen, and our response is like, well, if you're playing with a controller on mobile, then that cursor is there. Yeah. So, yep, which they, made it possible. Like, yeah. Okay, fine. Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, Otherwise, we yeah, would have had to recapture like a good chunk of the trailers, which would have been a tremendous, uh, you know, pain in the ass and expense yeah. on top of everything else. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy just how much of a logistical challenge it is to to manage all this stuff. Like it's, you know, we, we've said it we've said in the past that like the hardest part of game dev is not making the game. It's literally every other thing around uh, mm-hmm. the business side of, of it. So it's the and a lot of it is the, these logistics. Um, yeah. So this time we try we we thought. Let's see what happens if we don't make a trailer. See if it if it still lands uh, well, and we can, you know, take that extra time and put it into other stuff. So uh, we got our cool blog post, tons of new features in this patch. Uh, people are uh, apparently pretty blown away by how much stuff there is. We're getting a uh, pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty funny in, <laughs> in Discord. Uh, so that's very exciting. And uh, last bit of studio news for this week is we want to talk about this thing we. But we probably didn't invent the concept, but we did invent the word, mm-hmm. as far as we know, which is the verbical slice. Yes, there's an idea in <laughs> in games production called a, a vertical slice, and the idea here is you take a whole game design, which uh, you know oftentimes has a ton of different layers to it. So if you think about if you think about a game as a as a lasagna, okay. It's yeah, the, it's the full, I always do. As yeah, it's delicious. It's the whole, <laughs> it's the whole pan, right? 
But yeah. if you just want to get a taste of that lasagna, you're not you're not right. here to serve yeah, it do. yet. You know, you just want to get a taste to see if if you if it's worthy of being served. Uh, then you can just take a little slice of it, right? Just take a little slice out, uh, a vertical slice, if you will. So you get a little bit of every single layer. You don't need all of it, but just a little bit. Uh, and that way, you can actually see and feel uh, what the game is essentially, and then make a call as to whether this is a good enough. Game lasagna to serve to your audience, right? Yeah, you uh, think to yourself, I mean, now that I've had a little sliver of this, I got the, I got the cheese, I got the noodles, I got mm-hmm. the sauce, I got the the beef, whatever, whatever's in that lasagna, and now now you know whether you're prepared to eat the whole pan in one sitting. Absolutely, right. And so uh, when you're going to to deal with publishers or uh, even platforms to some degree, this is, I mean, this is also kind of like what a demo is, right? Uh, you basically oftentimes have to become prepared, coming coming into it prepared with a vertical slice such that people can figure it out. So again, we're, this is our first time doing doing pre-production very purposefully. And so uh, one of the ideas we came up with was uh, we don't have the resources currently as far as just everything we have on our plate to actually build like a vertical slice. Uh, nor are we at the point where we would want to do that because there's still plenty of uh, open-ended questions. And so the idea was what if we – I mean you could you could tell stories – with just a bunch of text. So what if we essentially wrote out as a story the first hour or so of gameplay? Uh, and, that, and that's that's down to the details of uh, where where's the player go? What's showing up on screen? Who are they talking to? What's this play experience like? Yada, yada. Um, and so we, we basically we did that and we talked about it as of this morning. Uh, and what did you guys – where were you at as far as – where you were at before on the understanding of the vision of the project versus now? And how do you see that vertical slice kind of uh, playing yeah. into it? So this is talking about Crashlands 2. Crash, um, yeah. So uh, it was it was super interesting and it helped a lot. Another, another nice thing was uh, throwing some music in there. So so Sam mm-hmm. wrote up the vertical slice and then put some references to um, like YouTube videos that just had like timestamped links to spots in the music, which is like, you know, this I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to say what actually happens <laughs> yeah. right in the game, but it's like, OK, this thing starts to happen and, it's, and, it's, and it looks crazy and it's epic. And then like music like this starts and then you click on the link and then you start to hear like. Duh, 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 you know? <laughs> right. So as, as you're reading through it, you kind of get like this really strong vibe about what what you would be experiencing as the player, what your motivations are, um, try to imagine like how the jokes would land and uh, and and also just like how the how the mechanics and concepts of the game get unspooled and, mm-hmm. and introduced to the player. And, and I think it also revealed um, it revealed some not not holes in the design in like a, a bad way, but just blind spots, right? Like things that we had. Sort I would of, call them. I would call them blurry spots. There's things we yeah, know, but we yeah. haven't we haven't sharpened enough focus on them to really be able to see what's going on there. Yeah, well, um, especially things that you think you know, as in like you have a you've got this like vague sense of what the thing is going to be, and so you you feel like you don't need to worry about it because you're like. Well, like it's going to kind of be like like I've got an idea for what it's going to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you have to explicitly articulate the entirety of it, like that—that that is the process by which you discover the actual, like the real problems that are, that are going to get in there. And there, there were already a few that we that we noted um, going through this part. Um, and I think what Sam would probably, uh, I think the, the one the one thing that that we also noticed about just like the process itself was that it was very easy to fall into just telling a story um, and. And not getting those details because when it's when you're doing it as a vertical slice, then you're just focused on the talking, right? So you, you end up just like 
focusing on the dialogue and the character interactions and and then it becomes easy to not get into the weeds of the player walks into a room. The room has these things in it spaced, you know, in, yep. in this kind of a manner. And if the player the player now has these options of which things you can interact with, if they interact with that thing, which looks like this, then these are the possible things that could happen and blah, 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 right? Yeah, right. Because uh, it, becomes, it becomes kind of endless in a, in a way, right, to, to do it that way. And it, and it goes from being really interesting when it's storytelling to really kind of dry when it's sort of trying to – it's a technical document. Yeah, it becomes a technical point, right? document in, in that case. And so so finding a way to tell a story which is supposed to be conveying an ex- like the player experience, which is supposed to be interesting, in a way that also gets at the details is is an interesting challenge. Um to, to get to them explicitly enough to to have all of your questions be surfaced so that they can be answered while not being while, while still being interesting and actually conveying it as if it's the the mm-hmm. gameplay experience itself. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about it so far has been that every time we've done one of these larger feedback rounds on the uh, sort of a more complete feeling slice of this thing, uh, every single time, then we've ended up cutting stuff, which to me is like so good because if you guys, I don't know if you guys recall, it's level head, but like there were so many concepts on the table when we started building a thing that we actually started. I mean, we, we've talked about this in podcasts, like we we built an overworld for that game. For fuck's sake, like before we didn't, we didn't think any further besides like, you know, it'd be really cool if you if there was an overworld and you battled people like in Pokemon with their levels. But for some reason we didn't. It kind of blows my mind, honestly, because like if, if we I feel like if we sat down and like went through the reality of what that would mean at the end of the day, as far as development would go, then it it almost should have been clear before we started even putting. A think, well, this is the, this is the problem of of purely iterative design. We actually have a question about this too, um, which we'll, we'll hit, but uh, uh, with purely iterative design, it's very easy to be hand wavy. So when we're talking about the vertical slice, like there's a, there's mm-hmm. a section of the vertical slice where like it tells this very detailed story about what the player's doing. And then there's a sudden part where it's like the player runs around, fights some stuff, crafts some things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then goes back to talk to the NPC. Right. And it's like, yeah, but like that's the game. Yeah, what does that's, that look that's like? The, that's the gameplay, yeah. right? And it's so easy to, as Adam was saying, it's so easy to think that you know what that's going to look like and just move on without actually pinning down the details. So that same kind of thing happened like when we were working on Level Head is we were already in the middle of building the game and we had all of those pressures on us of continuing to deliver uh, new actually implemented features, getting mm-hmm. those things tested and all that stuff. And that meant that that it was it made it very easy for us to say like, okay, here's how this is gonna work uh roughly. Okay, let's just start building it. Because we like we know we yeah, know we'll what figure, it's be we'll like. figure the yeah. rest out as we, we actually yeah. and I think I think it's uh, oftentimes and I think it's it's a difference between your experience as a designer. Cause I think I think as you get more experience as a designer, I think you can hold off on building things for longer. You know what I mean? Like if, if you can get into these more uh, accurate, essentially just verbal uh, simulations about what the experience is going to be, then they yeah. you should be able to hold off longer before you need to commit to code, right? Versus when you start out, honestly, like it's not a bad idea to just be like, we need to quit talking about this because we can't even – I don't understand how, how this is going to work and I don't think we could talk about it until we do, right? Which I think is true early on in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, yeah. But later on, certainly once you once you got some titles under your belt, it's it's – it's totally possible to – what was the joke? There's a joke in uh, one of Clay's GDC talks about 
programming for three weeks to uh, save yourself from having a one-hour conversation. <laughs> yep. Right. Um, <laughs> which yep. is about what this feels yeah. like. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. Some, some things can be prototyped in 10 minutes to save a three-hour conversation, and some things – can in a three-hour conversation save you three months. Yeah, but when it comes uh, to global design, it's it's going to be always a case that it's cheaper to talk it through and work the problem through using other means besides uh, besides like full-on code. Code, um, because there's just there's too many there are too many things that all have to come together. There's like the the project is too big to be able to address that in a rapid way through code. Yeah, well, and the the human brain is really bad at large scale systems thinking mm-hmm. like think thinking through all of the logic and everything um it's incredibly difficult to do and so the, a big reason we did the vertical slice was we have all these documents explaining the different systems right here's how the crafting is going to work here's how this is going to work here's how that's going to work um and i've been i've been collaborating with sam on all this stuff and and getting a sense for all these things and uh, at the beginning of this week, we were talking about kind of next steps. I was like, you know, it's cool that we have all these, but I still don't know what this game is. Like, mm-hmm. it, we we have documents that are a pile of systems, but what is it going to be like to sit down and play this game for the first time? What am I going to do? What am I going to see? What am I going to experience? Well, you know, this reminds me of those. We, we talked to, talk to level-head players uh, who ask for advice about how to build good levels. Right, and, and we say, don't draw it. What you need to do is just list the list the experiences that the player is going to have because they can Tell only the story. have exactly they can only have yeah. one experience at a time. Right? Are yeah. they walking right now? Because they can't they can't walk and also be in a boss fight. Like those aren't you know two sort of experiential things. Um, so, you know, what are they doing moment to moment? And can you get a clear picture of that? Because as soon as you can the whole rest of it kind of shakes out and answers itself. And you can also find obvious holes just by reviewing that whole process. And so, yep. yeah, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right that it's, it's sort of going from this, uh, this point of saying, okay, here's all the, t- essentially he's saying, here's all the tools we have available, right? I've basically, I've spec'd out all these design tools, right? If you want to think about it like that, uh, what experiences can those, and what those experiences are that can be created. So sort of building a dictionary and now it's time to actually write a story with those things to check in on the, on the, on the dictionary and see if it's actually correct. Right? Yeah. So the vertical slice has been super cool and interesting. Uh, if any of our, our listeners are, are in the process of kind of coming up with their own uh, game design ideas, just try this. You know, you, you think, you know, you think, you know what your game is going to be uh, right out, right. Tell a story of what the player's doing in the first hour of the game and try mm-hmm. to get real specific uh, How does this differ from again, a design doc in sort of a classical well, it's not, sense? It's, it differs from a design doc because it doesn't actually cover all of the scenarios. It covers a player's linear experience, right? So kind of like, Adam, when you were talking about the player enters the room. If they interact with this, this happens. If they interact with that, that happens. So that's a design doc because it, it's covering all of the possibilities mm-hmm. of how the system works, right? But a, a vertical slice is, is the player walks in. They see all these different things. They walk over and they start interacting with this thing. Something happens, blah, blah, blah. Then the player leaves, mm-hmm. right? We, we aren't, we're not even covering all the other stuff that might have happened in that room. We're just talking about what this player decided to, to do and what the game does sort of in response to those things. So uh, it's, it's more about just trying to visualize what you think a, a typical starting player's experience is and making sure that 
that based on your understanding of the game systems, which have already been established in a design doc, um, that everything actually works the way that you thought it was going to work so without necessarily a, writing a bunch of code. Yeah, so it's a user story and sort of the agile yeah, software. Yeah, think about it. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just a just so, a fucking long one. A long user, user story. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, typically in agile user stories are yeah. like the player can or the the user I can save can click right. this button to save or whatever. Right. Yeah. They're they're much more concise. Wow, great story. Cool story, bro. <laughs> yeah. As they say. Well, because they're, they're focused on individual <laughs> programmable features, right? Which is not the same thing as uh, as the higher level. Here's what the whole experience of using like the the software looks like from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, so that's been a super cool uh, tool, and I'm very excited about it. And it and it also has made me a lot more pumped about the game because I feel like I can see it. Like, I feel like I can see what this game is actually shaping, uh, going to shape into. Yeah. Well, so the next cool. the next phase of this is that uh, is that Sam will start putting together uh, an actual map of the locations. Um, just you know, just a rough sketch, right? But but this is something we found too. We were we were playing D and D a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife was DMing, and. Uh, and we found that that the moment we had something to look at, so we, we were all kind of talking through stuff, and 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 she was describing uh, where we were on this train, right? And and we're all kind of like mentally trying to keep track of what's going on, and then Sam just like dashed this like shitty sketch of a train, right, as fast as he could. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I don't it, know, but I think given, given the tool you had at your disposal, it was, it was excellent. It was pretty good. Um, it did. It actually bent in like a, it was like a C shaped train. Yeah, because he kind of ran, ran out of space. Out of space. Uh, so I bent it around so it had seven uh, cargo, like tr- cargo uh, containers. Yeah, but even with that, even with that, like rapidly, like best you could in, the, in a moment rendition, um, all of a sudden it made everything click and be a lot easier. And so then the next time um, when we had the next session and my wife had had prepared a whole bunch of extra stuff and like gotten all these cool assets and actually like structured the trains very intentionally with – uh, put the characters in there, like all the all the NPCs and stuff, so that now all of a sudden when we played it, it was it was such a different experience, and and so we were kind of thinking about that with respect to this vertical slice, which is which is the the storytelling initially is like is really useful to kind of like start thinking your way through it, but you quickly run into that limitation, which is that since the game is taking place in a physical space, and you you need to be telling a story through it, then you don't really you don't really necessarily want to just have like pictures of like scenes that a person will experience as they go through. Um, because the, the picture is a, is at such a brief moment in the story, right? Yeah, it's a snapshot. It's just a snapshot. It's more useful is actually having the text description to really just fully describe the story like, as if you're reading a novel while having alongside that a, the imagery of the physical locations you're walking through and, and, and where yeah. stuff is. And so you can get a sense of like, how long did it take to get from here to there? What kind of stuff is in my way? Or just, what is going on in this in this space? So that's that's the kind of the next phase. I think will be really interesting to see how that changes things. Yeah, it's been a ton yeah. of fun to kind of shake these things out, and I have been able to uh, to do a few additional concept pieces. Um, just really, I mean, they're all they're all sort of just in this rough, very early stages as far as uh, slapping stuff down to get a sense of either scale for things or what you know what the characters might look like, all this other stuff. Uh, which I have to say has been fascinating because I haven't gotten to do art in a while. Um, since I've been purely just doing a lot of this design focused stuff. Um, and, and holy shit, is it a rusted tool that I have uh, at this point for, for drawing? Um, so that also spoke to me in a different way, which is like, okay, so I need to, I need to be doing some art every day because like some <laughs> new, like new design, new, uh, like new visual artwork every day, not just sort of, uh, you know, putting marketing stuff together or whatever else, because, 
uh, I need to be at the top of my game once we actually get into legit viz dev development on this thing. And, uh, and it's going to require being a little more warmed up uh, than I than I was a couple days ago when I got back. Yeah. Yeah, the Viz Dev is going to be the laying the foundational elements for what this game is going to look like, and you don't want to be rusty no. at that time. <laughs> no. Well, this always happens. Right? I mean, you do. I think, especially when you're on a small team, it's it is the case. Like you'll you'll tend to be wearing a lot of hats, right? And it's an interesting point that like while you're not wearing a, a particular hat, the other one is just sort of deteriorating. The monster corner, right? Yeah, the monster eating yeah. it, and like it's only once you put it on and you got like you actually spend time essentially patching it. While it's yes. on your head, and then uh, I think it, this will be one of the dangers heading into this project is is figuring out how to balance those things, especially in my case, uh, since I'll flip between basically the design, design storytelling, and uh, the art side of things to make sure that I can keep everything, keep keep all those plates spinning enough or those hats spinning to keep all the moths at bay. So it's going to be a bit yep, of a that's thing. the that's the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> you just spin those hats. Uh, all right. Well, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. All right. Highest uploaded question comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, Sam, ah! could you share with us some of the inspiration behind the designs of the various enemies and things in Levelhead? GR18 reminds me a bit of Eve from Wally. And I've wondered if that might have been a possible inspiration. Mm. Uh, so I think the reality is when I was making when I was making our core character, GR18, as well as a bunch of the earlier artwork, uh, most of it was done before I – so again, I, I started like being actually interested in doing art essentially halfway into Levelhead. <laughs> and I – yeah, I mean I, it's a dumb, horrifying thing to say, but it's true. And so – uh, GR18 was still made with that previous sort of method where it was just kind of like really just drawing some shit without any reference, without having been like, what is this? Why? Etc. Uh, and actually the first version looked like a CRTV, like one of those old, do you guys remember that? It was like, he was just a box essentially. Yep. And it was so hideous. I looked back at the artwork the other day. I was like, good God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is good enough. Uh, and then, so I think what happened was I, I just sort of stumbled on a lot of it again, has to do with the constraints of the game. Like when you're, I think it's one of the fascinating things about doing, doing art uh, just directly in a production sense without doing any concepts first. It's one of the nice things, honestly, it does give you is uh, it, it forces you to be playing into the constraints of the game code itself, which in our case was, uh, you know, a platformer, which means that the character needs to basically fill slash be inside of a single grid space. Yeah, the character needs to fit in things. Yeah. So you got to make sure it looks yeah. like it can fit in stuff, which basically means that it has to fit inside of a single grid space, roughly. Um, yes. And so that was honestly the major part. And then when you look at that fact, like you just don't have a lot of room to put the whole – like other body parts. So – it was only natural that the character ended up turning into just a, a body or a head, you know, uh, with arms and legs sort of just attached Kirby style onto it at the end of the day. Um, but I will say there was not, I wish there was inspiration. I wish there was foresight that I could explain, but uh, <laughs> there was not, not at all. But in hindsight, it looks a bit like Eve. So that's, you know, that's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's comments. nice. <laughs> Uh, all right, next question comes from Digital Wizard, who said – there's no A in it, so that's that's where the pronunciation comes mm -hmm. from. Seth, in your 2018 GDC talk, you say plans are bad and you shouldn't do them. I find planning keeps happening without me thinking about it. How do you keep chaos plentiful to combat the planning? 
What do you do to sprinkle chaos into your day? So uh, part of the reason that I said plans are bad was, which I, I still believe to be true, is, is that if you believe that your plan is accurate, then you're wrong, mm-hmm. right? So plan, plans are essentially attempting to predict the future and then being wrong about it. Um, which implies that there is always chaos happening in your day all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so even though you might be planning, that doesn't keep the world from doing whatever it is already going to do to ruin your plans. <laughs> <laughs> and if you hold to the plan uh, despite what the world is doing, that's where the problem comes in. But actually planning, which is, which is sort of – so scenario planning is one way of saying here's the, the kind of chaos that I can see. Now, here are the things I'm going to do for each kind of chaos that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Generally, a very useful exercise. Uh, but you can't push it out too far because once you compound chaos on top of chaos, then you get exponentially too many sorts of paths you can go down. And nobody has enough time to figure out what you would do in all of those consequences. So so it's all about trying to figure out what, what realistically are the sort of shortest term scenarios you're going to find yourself in and being, uh, being prepared for those. And if you're trying to work on a project, if you – if you already know so, – so you can plan a big project if, if there's no reason to think that the project is going to change as, as, as you implement it, right? Um, which is pretty rare. And the bigger a project gets, the more and more likely it is that it's going to have to change. You're going to discover things that you didn't know ahead of time. You're going to uh, – the world around you will have changed, causing you just to need to make a new thing. Who knows what, right? Yep. Um, and so the idea of this, of this idea of, of plans being bad is, is just – is the fact of chaos, and so so you're fine if you if you find yourself making plans uh, and and as you're saying like on accident like you can't help yourself right you still should be making plans absolutely uh, it's that you have to do it while respecting that the world is chaos mm-hmm. chaos needs to be part of the plan I would say yeah I think yeah. I think there's another <laughs> point here which is that there's there's a kind of there's a couple of different kinds of plans we talk about this so I think my favorite one. My favorite one that actually I feel like works no matter what is the is just the turbo high level uh, sort of core response that you would like to have or the core thing that you're trying to make. And so what I mean by that is like picking something that is so big that no no amount of chaos in the world would actually change your approach on that level. So uh, in game design, there's a lot of these ideas as far as uh, we call them pillars, right? So a game design pillar, which is just to say. We don't know what the exact look of this is going to be, but uh, one of the pillars of this game is that there are like these uh, these shared pet experiences or something like that, right? We're not exactly sure the implementation of that, but that is going to be in there because that is what this game is in some way. Uh, and in some way, I feel like those sorts of plans are – because they're not so specific, they aren't quite as fragile. So we talk about this vertical slice uh, concept actually – I think it's an interesting way to think about this because the, the whole point of it is to get as specific as possible so that uh, we can essentially pass it through this simulation of what will actually happen when we go to build the thing and then as cheaply as possible change our plan. And sometimes yep. basically like where, where we've been getting to with this, with this pre-production process is starting at the super high level and saying like what's this about on a, on a core level that we just want it to be about no matter what happens all the way down to say, OK, here's the specific details that match with that whole thing. Uh, what aspect of this is actually now wrong because of you know chaos or whatever else? And so you could kind of figure out the different. There's almost like different tiers of planning, 
I guess. Yeah, or you like, just you as you're doing it, you ask which which components of this are the most subject to what kinds of chaos, right? Yes. So if part of your design includes, let's say, monetization with the question of is this thing going to be free to play with like something cosmetic unlocks? Is it going to be, or is it going to be just the thing that you buy? What, what is this thing going to be? Right. And that, that informs your, how many aspects of the design have to be. And so then you can, if you don't know what that's going to be yet, because let's say, let's say you're in our position, you're like, okay, we're going to make a game for the next several years. Um, we don't know what the market's going to look like when we go to launch it. So we want to make that decision as late as we can get away with. Right. And so you take all the things that aren't impacted, at least in a specific way, by a choice like that, um, that you know you can fix. Like like Sam said, like we're like pets are going to be a key system, right? And and you could you could just like put a pin in those and just say here here are my anchor points for like what this thing is going to be, and then you you let everything else that causes the the chaos to unfold um, guide you. As you then start to put it together, where the things are the the most chaotic or the, like the least at least inside your control or whatever, you try to make your plans so that those get to come later, so that mm-hmm. you get to sort of have already accumulated the chaos that leads up to it before you actually pin that thing. Because mm-hmm. many of these things, once you once you actually set them down, once you, once you pin them, they're just stuck that way now. So if you if you pin something too early. And everything else is now dependent on the way that you did that, and it turns out that that's not going to work for some chaos reason that you didn't predict. Um, then it is it can be very hard or impossible to to revert a decision like yeah. that. Yeah. So so I guess to, to summarize in the short term, yeah, go ahead. Figure out what you're going to do this week. Figure out what you're going to do this weekend. That's fine. As the timeline gets longer, try to plan as little as possible and stay loose. Stay mm-hmm. flexible because mm-hmm. you have no you have no idea what's coming. Yeah. If you had any plans last year for this year, you're not doing. Yeah, any guess of that what? Shit. Guess what? Yep. Yeah. Didn't see this coming, <laughs> did you? Yeah. Did this you, this buddy? is one of those things that's so, it's like so <laughs> yeah. big that it, it literally destroyed all plans. Right. There's there's no plan that survived COVID. Uh, uh, I saw I saw on the news today that uh, Disney reported their first quarterly loss in 20 years. Yep. Shit. Yeah. They. Yeah. So that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and honestly, even Although thinking really, about you know, nobody what, should just continue to do better for that long of a period of time. You know, like that's pretty no, remarkable. But you know, they probably were going to regardless. Going. So, but I mean, even even you know, uh, hearing from from uh, employees at Valve, and they talk about how, despite having data, sales data, and engagement data, and analytics galore for thousands and thousands or yeah i guess now probably a hundred thousand games or how many they have it's it's tens of thousands Uh, definitely tens of thousands of games over now more than a decade probably 16 15 16 years um even valve cannot look at a game and be like this is gonna do well or this is (laughs) gonna do poorly they they will not comment because they're like yeah we just don't know we can't mm-hmm. predict it at all. That was all. the whole reason they opened the store up to everybody was because they just said, There's only too the market many times. knows what the market yeah. wants. Yeah. So to let everything people, hit the yeah. market and see what sticks. Yeah. And so if if an organization like that, with that level of sophistication and that level of access to all of the information you could possibly need in order to like make a successful game, uh, then makes a game like Artifact – which did not do well and people did not really go for, right? Um, it, it just goes to show that uh, that 
it's just really hard to predict. Yeah. Pretty much anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do your best. Uh, stick to your stick to your principles. Stick to your pillars. And but try don't to stick keep to things. your plan. But yeah. yeah, keep things keep things flexible. Uh, all right. Next question comes from C Price. As an aspiring indie dev, I'm curious about the process for contracting voice actors for your games. Where did you find Amy for Levelhead, and what was your selection process like? Did she provide her own recording equipment, or did you have to rent a studio? And what was the feedback process like? Was there any back and forth on voice lines? Oh, this is fun. Uh, yeah, so yeah, voice is a is a thing that we're I'm really keen on it, especially. I think it just adds a it adds a bunch of extra flair to your games, and uh, certainly I feel like it just kind of punches the quality up. It's one of those things. If it's done well, it, then it's like it just adds a another level of professionalism. It also punches the file size up. Yes, there's a bunch of ramifications for it. It's kind of wild, especially when you look at 2D games in particular, because like we don't have our games just aren't that big in terms of their memory footprint. Uh, sound, I guess. How yeah, how much of the file size is actually just sound, Seth? If you for levelhead, do you recall? Uh, about two thirds. Yeah. So think about that. Like two thirds of, of Levelhead is actually uh, just the music, these voiceover recordings and sound effects and stuff. Uh, yep. So there's some there's some funny uh, considerations there to be aware of before going in. Uh, and the other is that it is it is uh, pricey. It is an expensive thing when you're actually having professionals do it. Um, in terms of you know you might get you know what a couple hundred words for you know essentially a couple hundred bucks I guess is like <laughs> easy way to think about it. Um, and so we use a service called Voice One Two Three, and this is one that I know a lot of other game devs use, and just a lot of uh, people who have to contract out voice work because you can post a script and then kind of set some parameters for it, where it's like, oh yeah, this is a this is a woman's voice. We want it to be in in this language or with this particular accent or a couple different accents, and then people will actually just sort of they'll just throw in samples based on the text you provide. You provide sample text. Uh, and then you listen through those and see if you find one that you like. You could also invite specific people uh, and then go back and forth with them about price, sign your contract, and you're ready to go. So the selection process is actually pretty simple. It only took a couple of days once we got the, the script and stuff figured out. Um, and then most professional voice actors, what you're also paying for. So when I say it's pricey, uh, the reason it's pricey is because most of these voice actors and actresses do the whole production kit for you. And they have their own studio and stuff. So you don't, you're not paying for studio time. You're not paying for uh, additional production on the Well, you are paying files. for it, just not separately. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's good. good yeah. It's, it's built in. It's <laughs> bundled in. And so yeah. uh, that's everything from essentially a thing that I didn't even know was, was a thing. But removing breaths from their voice work is actually a thing that nearly all these professional voice uh, folks will, will do because – in a video game, it's actually really weird. And we actually had this, the first one we got back, I forgot to ask her for it. Um, and hearing someone breathe in a voiceover, just pay attention to this. We listen to it. doesn't happen. Uh, even though it happens literally yeah. all the time. If you're talking to a person, you can always hear when they're breathing in, uh, in, in audio is like the opposite of blinking and visual, right? Like if somebody doesn't blink, you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but but in, if someone breathes though, and you hear it then you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. I'm yeah, not, yeah. Weirdly, I'm not supposed to hear this. To yeah. Honest, it was so. super, super weird. Well, I, so. I think it's, I think it's because of the fact that when you are speaking to somebody in normal, like at a normal human distance in person, uh, you don't really hear their breaths. That's true. It is. It is amplified. It's by the mic. Yeah, it's the microphone that does it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so that's, that's, that's that was thing. a little weird. Um, but yeah, the only back and forth we just did a couple of back and forth. If there was a particular line where I was like, oh, you know, maybe punch it up in this way. So essentially, what we did is we shared a Google Doc with the whole script. 
I highlighted all of her lines and then also added comments about sort of, you know, uh, kind of like a directorial thing with it. And some people you can, you can actually like Skype with them while they do their thing and provide, you know, live feedback while they do a couple lines. Uh, in our case, I was just like, go for it. You know, you have an awesome voice, super fun. Just be, be a weirdo and we'll see what happens. Uh, so we also do this with the, with the Chinese version of the trailer for Crashlands when we launched it in China. And I remember we all we all gathered around to hear the samples that came in through that service, and it was so fun and hilarious to hear because, of course, that was that was that over the top trailer originally in Sam's voice, so that was the reference with screaming, screaming, the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and uh, and it was just so fun to hear to hear people's rendition of that in Chinese. It was just it was a blast. Um, Yeah getting to pick those up. It's also one of those things kind of like this whole idea of vertical slice whatever else where hearing a professional do these things makes – it just makes stuff really cool. <laughs> like I don't know. <laughs> like you know, I'll, I'll write a script. I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is like – well, you know, we'll sort of run around the office and be like, oh, this sounds funny. Uh, but then hearing someone actually do it for real uh, is just a very different experience. So – It makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. So Amy Smith was yeah. our was our voice actress. Uh, she did a fantastic job. And it was very, very fun to kind of have our back and forth with her uh, over that time. So voice one, two, three, you said? Mm-hmm. Is the yep. name of the thing. All right. Well, I hope that answers question. I think it does. But yeah, it is It is something that uh, you're going to get what you pay for. Yeah. Be, willing to, be willing to support uh, these voice these voice artists and – you got you to gotta lay down the cash, mm-hmm. you know? So, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything you could possibly want. Thank you all for listening. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.